Hello, I'm Simon Bose. Welcome to the Net Hero Podcast. Wow, a week, a year, 400 years in politics is a long time. So Boris Johnson is gone. Now, this is very significant news, not just for the country in all aspects, but also for Net Zero. Whatever you thought of Boris, and I could share a few <laughs> criticisms I had of him, he was very much, in my mind, a believer in the net zero agenda. Uh, he was making strides towards changing things, some unpopular, but actually I think in the in the scale of things, probably the right things. So, you know, investing more in nuclear, uh, he loved big wind projects and I say loved, but he's still in, in power right now at present of recording, but who knows, by the time this podcast comes out, it may have actually completely gone, although he's due to stay until the new leader's found. But um, yeah, he's been an advocate of big wind, he's been an advocate of nuclear, he's been an advocate of doing more to extract oil and gas that we have. You know what's going on right now with the government having to ask coal, which is not great, but keeping the lights on is the most important thing. You know, asking coal stations to keep going, even to this week, you probably read on Future Net Zero, uh, asking Drax to keep one of its coal units going in case there are shortages this winter. But his vision was always about building. Uh, you know, he's a big believer in big infrastructure, HS2, things like that. And he was believing that with net zero, you could build a lot of things that bring the UK to the fore as a world leader in net zero. Where will that go now? Well, that is anyone's guess. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to say that um, I doubt, I hope uh, for sure, that um, his successor, whoever he or she may be, would completely reverse things. But there are, you know, pressures facing uh, government right now, particularly with the cost of living crisis, where there are voices out there that say, you know what, don't go down this path. Look how much it's going to cost us to do net zero. And again, you know, I hope, I really hope that whoever replaces Boris doesn't listen to those voices. Because what's clear, our event a couple of weeks ago showed it even more if you needed any kind of a example of what's out there. There's a need for it, there's a desire for it, there's a demand for it, and there's a real willingness to go down the net zero path amongst businesses and local authorities. And I don't think that should stop. Government's role should be to keep to the target, to keep to the 2050 target, to try and make sure we're moving faster as we can, particularly in this next decade as we uh, you know, hurtle towards the 2030 deadline. We really need to do a lot of heavy lifting. And so I hope that despite Boris's departure or imminent departure, uh, the new leader of the Tory party will keep going. The other thing I hope is that Kwasi Kwarteng, uh, again, he has had his critics, but you know we've always found him to be very straightforward and he is knowledgeable about the energy sector. You need some continuity. Obviously, no one knows what will happen. And this is where things can go so badly wrong, is that you, know, you have a minister who's been in position now for, what, three years, building up, understanding the portfolio, if he gets moved, sacked from government, moved to another job, whatever, then all that knowledge goes and suddenly you've got everyone trying to catch up with who uh, will be running business and energy. So lots of questions to be answered over the coming weeks and months. But my takeaway from all of this is, yes, we may have had a change, but let's keep the direction going.
Now, um, today's podcast is with a group called Just Stop Oil. Now, you may have seen them, you've probably heard of them doing protests all over the place. So they've been protesting at football games, they've been protesting at Silverstone, they've been gluing themselves to valuable paintings at the National Portrait Gallery, they've been doing lots of things. And I wanted to get an idea of who these people are, what they're about, what their aim is, because in my view, you can't just stop oil tomorrow. But uh, I was very happy to say that Graham Buss, who's one of the spokespeople, uh, member, uh, took time out to catch up with me. And uh, I started by asking what Just Stop Oil actually is all about. What, what's the group's background uh, and aim? Just Stop Oil, is a non-violent civil resistance movement. That's essentially it. It's a coalition of different movements. So there's support from example for Extinction Rebellion. There's support from Insulate Britain and um, uh, Greenpeace is a supporter. So um, it's a coalition of people who are trying to bring the government to the position where they will stop licensing new oil new oil projects in, in the North Sea, or in fact, in the UK. So, so you're not actually an offshoot of, of Extinction Rebellion as such? There are people working within, there are activists working within Just Stop Oil who are also part of Extinction Rebellion, but it's not Extinction Rebellion. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right. So now most of these groups that have sprung up in Britain, et cetera, from what our conversations with them have been is not very structured. You know, the way that Greenpeace used to be, you know, the Greenpeace protests were always run centrally and, and, and structured. How, how does Just Stop Oil work? Is it basically someone decides, hey guys, let's go and do this today? And you're all sort of organizing it on your phones or is there a sort of targeted sort of campaign based on a structure? You know, there's a kind of boss or whatever. How, how does it work for you guys? There's no boss. There's no boss. That's absolutely clear. Let, let, I think we need to start on the same page, really, if you want to understand Just Stop Oil, or if you want to understand non-civil resistance groups in the climate uh, arena. Do, state. do, explain it, yeah. You know, we are in the midst of a climate crisis. I mean, this climate crisis is now. It's not, it's not a future crisis. It's not a future net zero, it's a, it's a current crisis. You know, you've just got to look at cold, hard facts which drive the actions of non-violent civil resistance groups. You know, look what's the extreme heat we've had in India, you know, birds dropping out of the sky. We've got uh, drought in uh, Italy, where, what, 30% of Italian uh, agricultural produce may be lost. We've got massive floods in Australia, in, in Sydney. Thousands of people have been put on alert to leave their homes. You know, where I live, just down the road from here, I live in Manchester, just down the road is the Mersey. We've had two hundred year evacuation warnings in one year. So you've got, just got to look where, where we are now. We are in a climate catastrophe already. And then you've got to look where we're going. We're currently, if you, do, if you take all the legally agreed actions on climate change, we're currently, forget 1.5, we're currently heading for three degrees. Actually, 2.7 median case. We're roughly speaking, we're heading for three degrees of, of heating by the end of the century. 
I mean, you've just got to look at what that means. You know, you've got to look at this squarely in the face. You know, that's going to mean three and a half, three billion people living in unlivable parts of the world. I mean, where will they all go? Will we just let them die? Where will they go? And just look at what's happening to our oceans. You know, by the end of the century, the seashells in our oceans, our ocean will be so acidic that, the, that shells will dissolve. Now, that's chilling, isn't it? No, and, and look, we've covered a lot of these things, and we, we, we know... We, we, will we you agree that from. is chilling? No, it is chilling, but also we've got to look at where facts are, and no one knows where, where we are in terms of, you know, the oceans in 50 years' time. We know where we are now, and we know there's coral die-off, and we also know about the oxidisation, and we've covered those stories here. But what I'm trying to get at is... And, and I don't think anyone would disagree with all the things you've said. The question is, what is your group's aim? Because it seems to be disruption in things that really aren't really going to be changing anything. And that would be the criticism. Gluing yourselves to paintings isn't great for uh, people who go to galleries, isn't great for their damage to the artwork. Putting yourselves in danger at Silverstone is nuts. And these things, you know, aren't really accelerating your cause, are they? Except unless your cause is just publicity. Well, to just deal with the first thing, what are we aiming to do? Our yeah. aim is that governments stop issuing licenses for new oil and gas in the UK. That's right, so if the government did that, Graham, tomorrow, if they said, that's it, we're not gonna bother exploring any more of the fields and we put a, a can on it, we're not gonna frack, does Just Stop Oil disappear? Just Stop Oil would stop the campaign of Just Stop Oil. Yes, of course they would. Now, but let's just think that what we're asking for is a mainstream position. The UN have said we need to do this. The International Energy Agency have said we need to do this. They've said this last year that all new oil and gas projects, all new fossil fuel licensing should stop. That doesn't mean that we don't have oil and gas. We have a transition period to get through, but we have to stop that. And if we don't do that, we will fail, absolutely, we will fail. We will fail even on a three degree temperature change. We will fail. And now that's what has to drive our decision-making, not some real politic position, but what's actually going to happen. You know, and that thing about what I mentioned about seashells, that's not some uh, speculation. That's where we are going. If you look at how much carbon will be in the atmosphere. Well, no, I, 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 I hear what you're saying. We and will I, lose our seashells. That's the end all of, of All of this, all of this is out there. And it's an absolutely right for everyone to have a protest and explain their views on this. And there are lots of ways of doing it. I just want to try and get to understand what these actions are doing, because you've had a lot of criticism from people about this. You've had a lot of support as well. So I'm not gonna say that there isn't that. Uh, just, I just I'm trying to understand what the significance is of disrupting the, the Formula One, of, of stopping people going to a gallery. Is it because you disagree with the gallery, galleries having had funding from fossil fuel companies? Because they're not offering a license to, to do it, right? If, if, if this is really about just stopping, then it's simply protest at parliament, tell government, stop doing this, that's the sort of thing. So can you just explain where, where, why you're targeting the things you are as a group? Yeah, well, we've had a number of campaigns, you, you listed them before, yeah. and we're doing this so that we can get in the media, 
So I'm talking to you, for example. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. why we're doing it. But let's just let's just think about this for a bit. So if you think about the synthetic outrage that arises in some of the media interviews that we do about damaging paintings, so you know the Haywain, for example, mm. that we don't get that outrage about the destruction of our natural world. Mm. We are destroying our natural world. Why aren't those journalists? saying the same thing. Oh, no, there are plenty of journalists saying that. And if you read our, our publication, we cover all of the stuff that's going on regularly. We have stories about what's going on in climate change. But we also see that business is part of the solution. And oil and gas companies, you may loathe them. And I know you worked for one for many years yourself. But, you, you know, you, they're not going to go away, Graham. I and mean, you admitted it earlier. We can't not have oil and gas right now. So no, if, we had, if we just stopped oil and gas tomorrow, we'd have an energy crisis far worse than anything we've got right now, and we'd have blackouts and we'd have no power. But we're not saying that. We're saying we need a rapid transition out of oil and gas. Right. Now, I think the, the science is absolutely clear on this. The yeah. only reason for not doing it is because we don't have the will to do it. What do you want? You said you wanted no more new exploration. Do you want the end of oil and gas companies? Do you want Total... Exxon, Shell, uh, BP, all to be go under tomorrow? Not tomorrow, but ultimately, yes, I think ultimately we must be completely out of oil and gas. I mean, I, I think the thing is, I mean, I, I looked a bit on your website and looked yeah. at some of your uh, conference. You know, you yeah. had Kwasi Kwarteng there, yeah. who is arguing that we should reclassify natural gas as a low carbon fuel. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are you doing? Someone who has stated that we need to reduce our emissions significantly. Someone who I think is- Someone who's living in, the, in, the in line room. with me is saying, you are inviting someone on your program, on your, to your business, who is arguing that ludicrous position. Come on. Is it a ludicrous position, Graham? We're, we've got to look at the reality of cost, okay? And I've let you ha have your say, and I just want to just come back. And look, a lot of what you say, I would totally agree with on a personal level. But we've got to be living in the real world. Right now, we're facing a crisis across the board, right? And at the end of the day, without power, we're doomed. And you know that. We all know that. And all the people who are protesting couldn't even organise, you know, a proverbial you-know-what in a brewery without their mobile phones, without the technology, without the stuff that's all powered, at present still, the majority globally, I thought, the fossil fuel industry, right? And that's where we are, the position we are. But, you know, the government has to look at the securing the power. And if they're doing that by building more wind, more nuclear, and a lot of people disagree with nuclear, I think it's a good thing. I think we should have baseload. I think that renewables are the right thing. But I also think that instead of buying our oil and gas when we need it from unsavoury regimes, there are places that we could use it and extract it still with carbon capture to get us through this transition period. So without that, what's your solution today to stop? You say stop it all, fine, transition all these companies. And everyone would probably say that's the way the future will be, right? You don't have a place like the UAE with Mazda City being built because they're, they're not looking at what their future is post oil. But most, most businesses know that they want to be in a business. Whether they call themselves the oil business now, tomorrow they might be the energy business, but they're moving away. But right now... And, and I, I mean this with empathy, Graham, it's, and you're a scientist, you can't do without it right now, right? So- For a start, I'm not saying right now. 
I'm okay. saying a transition. So okay. let's, look at, let's look at the North Sea. If mm -hmm. we stop new oil and gas, and you know, as you say, we've got to get real. Yeah. You want to get real, you have to start from the science, not from some am, uh, ambition to survive as a business. You, you have to start from the position of the science and then do what the science tells you. If you continue to exploit oil, we will absolutely fail. And I, I think I said at the front just how serious that will be. That will be a catastrophe. It will be an apocalypse for our children. You cannot argue that some real politics. No, no. Position. And I, I don't think anyone is sitting there saying, let's keep getting the same level. But I think people are saying that you could use new technologies such as carbon capture. And I know the government's very keen on that. And there are good bits of science about the use of that. We can reduce the amount that we're using, which is the most important thing, efficiency. Talk right? about carbon Even the Global Carbon Capture Institute says that carbon capture won't make any difference until well into the 30s. But mm -hmm. we have... As you've said on your, I've heard yeah. you say this and I've said on your website, we have to halve our emissions by the end of the decade. That absolutely. is impossible with expansion in the fossil fuel industry. That is absolutely impossible. And now you must see that. Now we can make the transition. If you want to make a transition, the first thing you do is you have to stop giving yourself easy solutions. And the easy solution, the easy way out, is to carry on with oil. And that's where what we're currently doing. We are. The oil industry is slowing down the transition by making it easy to stick with what we have now. You know, if you if we made a commitment that we were going to move out of it, we would make that commitment work. We've got the you know the first thing is of course it would be much easier to get investment in alternatives because you would know that the alternatives weren't going to be superseded by some decision to uh, to continue the oil. Industry. Yeah, you've got to represent a viewpoint which has got to be seen across the world, right? So many people in the West would probably agree with what you're saying, Graham. But there are lots of people in, well, my family from in, in India, from China, developing nations in Africa, who just want to get their people out of poverty, right? Who are looking at where, and you know, you're a scientist that's worked, clearly I would have thought you've probably done some international work, at the very least, or- Yeah, but I have. Things. Yeah, so it can't be that we just sit there in one part of the world and say, we're gonna stop all this. We've got to have it globally. So how do you bring people who are just trying to get their people out of poverty right now, trying to secure what they have? How would you transition them? That's a very good question. Now, there was a paper recently um, in the Lancet, I think. Uh, I may have got that wrong, but I can look up the reference if you needed to have it, uh, which looked at which countries should take the greatest burden of responsibility. Yeah change yeah. at the moment. Now, those countries are the, the countries which are both richest and which have had cumulatively the greatest emissions. Yes, yes. So that is the EU, the UK, and the USA, all right? Those, that region is the, is the region that should take the brunt of the burden at the moment. So, so we, when, when, as a country, yeah. as a country, we need to lead on this. And at the moment, we're not. We have, if you look at what Boris Johnson, said just before COP26, he said, we're seeing desertification, we're seeing yeah. droughts, we're seeing yeah. mass movement because yeah. of what we are doing now. And here we are post COP26, and they are reneging on their legal commitments. Though, as the Committee for Climate Change said, um, the Climate Change Committee have said, 
we are not going to meet our targets. We're not on track, no, we're not right now, absolutely. We don't, we have to take this far more seriously than we are now. And I have to say that you look what um, Emma Howard Boyd said, she is the head of the Environment Agency. And she said, businesses are embedding liability. They are storing up risks for investors and they're giving the false impression that they are addressing climate change. And I have to say, my view after watching parts of your website is that you are supporting that view. You are making it look as if, I mean, there's a lot of hand wringing goes on. Oh dear, it's going to be very hard to halve our emissions. But they're not actually addressing how you would do it. And neither is our government. And I think you have a duty to engage with the people who you're working with and some of whom are paying you to tell them the truth. Now, if you look at what we need to do... I would, I would take your Pepsi challenge and say we do that, right? And I'm not saying that we're here to be some sort of... Uh, and, and if you think we're a greenwashing site, then you've got that completely wrong. We're not. But we believe that business is part of the solution and not against it. And all of the things you've said, there's one element there which you haven't addressed, which is pay the price. And moralistically, everything you said is correct. But how do you tell a single mum living in Dagenham when her bills go up because we've had to cut complete oil and gas right now, right? Stop it. Hang on. How, 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 are, how are you going to pay for this? Renewables right? are cheap. When the cost of living is going up. You know, the, the idea that tomorrow we can instantly go to a renewable future. I'd love that. I'm not You'd saying that. I am not saying we change instantly. If we, we've so, got about 10 years worth of oil and gas in the North Sea. So if we, we touch on that resource, we've got plenty of time. Right. So, so are you saying that the oil and gas that we have at present, that we could use, which the government hasn't, but now economically you could say makes a case for, for getting it, should it be left in the ground? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. The existing resources, the existing resources... Where, who pays for the energy? We are already exploiting. They I, get, I, I get it, Graham, I get it. And I'm not, I'm not arguing with you on that, that's fine. I agree with you, right? Brilliant, let's do that. Where are we going to get the oil and gas that we need right now as a shortfall? No, no. We, we import it you're not hearing it. That the, the currently exploited resources, mm. not the new licenses, the mm. currently exploited resources will last about 10 years. Now, that's at current consumption. So if we bring our consumption down rapidly, it will last much more than that. So we have plenty of resources already being exploited, not the new ones. And this is what the IEA is calling for, the International Energy Agency is calling for, is no new resources. And yeah, that's what they're calling for, right. yeah. no new resources. So it's absolutely not true that we can't make this transition. And if you follow the science, rather than what I would call wishful thinking, not being, not looking at the facts squarely, if you follow the science, you can see how we would address this. The first thing is we have to make a rapid transition out. We have to massively reduce our, our emissions over the decade, over the rest of the remaining part of the decade. It's, we're well into it now. And that means you can only do shovel-ready projects, right? So, because other things are too far down the line. I'm not saying that the companies you work with um, shouldn't continue to make developments, but if you're going to make an impact now, in this decade, it has to be shovel-ready projects. And if you don't have a, a solution to a project, you have to use less. That's That demand management simply won't address. No, no, and all of that is true. We need to use less. But where are we going to be able to do that right now, Graham? 
because you are facing a crisis for all businesses, right? You're facing a crisis for all of us as consumers in terms of how much my energy bill's gone up, your energy bill's gone up, the cost of living's gone up, right? And we're facing a very unstable and unsecure political future, at least very much for the short term of the next year. Who knows what's happening with the Russia-Ukraine uh, scenario and, and globally. So at present, you've got to see that we are in a state where a lot of things mean eventually we, we have to suffer. Now, maybe there is an element of we do have to suffer and we have to pay more, but that's people's livelihoods as well. And it's, it's a balance that I never get a real answer from protest groups of, of how you, you, you do that. You secure the power, you do everything to let people, unless we say we all face an enormous change in our living standards and we have to accept that. And maybe that's- There will be changes, yeah, there will be. I mean, that without a doubt. I think the, the, the idea that you can have a green growth solution- But you've had a great yeah. life, Graham, don't get me wrong. You're, I'm probably, you and I are probably the same age. You know, you've traveled the world, you've flown, you've probably had kids go to university or whatever, great life. Yeah, for younger people, opportunity to go, for some people who work their, 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 their socks off in, in a crap job, and then they go for two weeks to Benidorm, that is their biggest thing. And maybe they won't be able to do that. Maybe our children, do. our children, my children are in their 20s, I don't know how. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah I've, got, I've got one who's in the 20s, uh, yeah. I know people who are having children now. Those children will live in a catastrophically changed world. A, a, an apocalyptic world where half the global no, population. I don't fully, I don't fully buy into that complete apocalypse thing. Look, look, look what Emma Howard Boyd said. Yeah, You're yeah, I, I problem on to your children by by living the lifestyle you have now. And I accept that it's not nice. I accept it's difficult. And that's why part of the solution is about ensuring that, that those who are least able to deal with this get support so it's about redistribution so but it also the, and and all of this i think is 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 very very true i, I look, we're running out of time but i want to just i'll ask a couple of questions okay and I, I really appreciate you coming on Graham. first of all and being so uh robust and and open with us but where do you come back to the criticism about the the fact that it seems to be very much a middle class group you know there's been bits in the paper about members of your group and they've all been doing Insta stories of having lavish holidays around the world and now here they are protesting because the National Gallery has taken some more money in the past to, to do that. These are the things that sort of act as own goals, you know, going and disrupting football games when people work very hard to pay for a, a, a ticket for a match like that. These kind of things, I mean, if it's just wind people up, get in the media, I get it, yeah, get yourself noticed. But if it's win the public, do you think that's working? Yeah, I do. We're definitely winning the public over. The, the majority of people support our ambition and our demands. How I do think you know that? YouGov did a study. The new right. form, a company set up by the current new chancellor, of course. That, no, the, the majority of people are sympathetic or actively support our position. I mean, Gary Lineker, for example. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, but Gary Lineker was, he's, he's, there, he's trotted out by everyone. I'm talking about ordinary people. Oh, okay. Know, so, the, uh, you know. Well, look at the two racing drivers. Uh, right. 
Well, they're not exactly ordinary either. No, they're not. But they are. The point is, they are high-profile people, and by they have very, very large followings. And our what we have to do is to get this message out there clearly, which I hope you'll be part of. That we need a much more. I represent all views. And I, you're on there, Graham, because I want to hear your views, right? If I was, if I was in the paid pockets of. Uh, in energy companies, you would not be on this this channel. So there's none of that. And I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm trying to get to this point, which is for the public who are just normal, right? You don't have 10,000 followers on Instagram, uh, isn't a celebrity, doesn't swan around the world doing snapshots, who are just trying to work and have enough money for their family right now, disrupting their lives as other groups have done, as perhaps your future, who knows what your activities will be, do you think that's going to win over people to the cause? The disruption, the reason why we have a cost of living crisis is because of our government. It's not because of us. I don't think that we are a significant cause of disruption. Do you know that if you look at the um, the fair fuel uh, protesters at the moment, I don't hear the same criticisms of them by the right wing press. I'm not saying <laughs> the right wing press. I don't hear <laughs> Thank you for not saying the right wing press. <laughs> um, but I don't hear. So we're the ones who get the who get criticism. Yeah. Uh, and I, so I think there's a certain amount of hypocrisy here. And let's think about people striking, nurses striking, police withdrawing uh, effort, the train strikes. That these are people who recognise the need. Now, we don't go, eventually, everyone will be accused of being the reason of stopping people from going about their business because everyone will end up striking. Because we have a cost of living crisis, we have stagflation, we have a, a weak pound, and this is because of our government. It's not because of us. It's not uh, just stop oil. It's not because of you. Okay, fair enough. It's not. <laughs> no, no. What do you do now, apart from being on Just Above? What, what are you doing? in terms of are you still working in the field or, or what are you doing now i'm retired you're retired okay yeah. so uh i what more am i personally doing what are my personal commitments yeah exactly okay That's, i'm trying to get I to have, really. i don't fly anymore uh, i've stopped eating meat uh, i i own a car but i barely use it uh you had a foreign holiday in the last few years pardon have you had a foreign holiday in the last few years or no, no. Yeah, I said, uh, well, I, I'm going. If I go on holiday, it'll be on the train. Uh, but right. I, because of COVID, I haven't been anywhere. No, but yeah, I, I no, actually no longer have a passport. But that's my personal decision, and I'm not saying other people should do that. But you know, look, just take, just finish. Think about aviation. The government is planning, is supporting a doubling of the global aviation industry. That's absolutely in. But if, it, if it's fueled by yeah. sustainable fuel or dare I say, nuclear or hydrogen in the future where the flights are, are cleaner. That's not going to happen. Come on. Come Let's on, get real about Come on. <laughs> we, we can say we can we can have an argument to stop life. And that is not going to happen. We live in the real world. Yeah, the real world economy. is that we are going to be stuck with with fossil fuels as jet fuel for probably 2050 for most flights. So there'll, there'll be, might be some marginal changes somewhere, but actually what we're gonna see is an increase in emissions from the aviation sector supported. Uh, and the only solution the aviation sector has is offsetting. That's the only one. Now, this is not the right way to run a transition out of fossil fuels. This what's is the, what's the, before we go, what's the next sort of, plans for 
justifiable. You don't have to tell me what you're gonna, what you're going to protest, but I, I assume you continue, or or what happens? We carry on. Of course, we do, because until we see the change, what what choice do we have? It, you know, you've got to think about most of the people in Justapol are young. They're very young. They're often at university. Some of them are still at school. You know, they are looking. And they're often, and and they are often dare I say, quite, quite, from quite, uh, I've always said this, and you may disagree, Graham, but the only people who can ever see able to protest are people who can spare time to do that because other people are working in jobs. Well, no, that's not true, actually. If you, uh, if you look across, I mean, I spend a lot of time since I've left. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, you know, <laughs> even if I wanted to join a protest, I wouldn't have the time. And loads of young people who are working in factories or in restaurants or whatever haven't got the time to do that. It generally a lot of people seems people in this area have jobs. Lots and lots of people. I know many, many people who have jobs. You know, doctors, GPs, nurses. You even hear support from on some of our protests from from police officers. Now, it's not true that we're all unemployed or retired. That's absolutely that. That's a myth that you really need to lay and, and it, it's and quite it's, insulting. That no, that, no. And and what about the? the I'm, I'm just putting these to you and the middle class argument. How do you answer that one? Uh, a lot of people have very hard lives. They're working very hard. It's not, I don't, they have lives which make it not possible for them to engage in the activity. Yeah. I completely understand that. I'm very fortunate. White, middle class, well off. I don't explain I, you to apologize. My time. Yeah. I yeah. think those yeah. people who can afford to give their time should, should do give so. their time. Yeah. Graham, do you know what? I've really enjoyed our discussion. Yeah, me thank too. you for being on the podcast and thank you very much for explaining your views of, of where you are and where Just Stop Oil is. So thanks for joining us on the Net Hero podcast this week. Cheers. It was good to speak to you and I hope we meet again. Now, I could argue and argue with Graham until cows come home. He's got his view. My view is uh, different. I think uh, obviously we're all on the same page that we want to reduce oil and gas, but I don't think that their methods are the right way about it. But hey, let's have the debate. It's good that he was willing to come and talk and you've got your views. So let me know what you think about what they're doing or uh, whether we are guilty as he accused us of uh, in greenwashing i'll stand by and take that pepsi challenge saying we're not but hey everyone's entitled to their view so good to have that on um i'll be away for a, a little while i'm going down to cornwall but before i go just a quick thought about something that happened to me which really does sum up the whole kind of quandary of where we are which is um i do a little trip for work the other day and it wasn't far it was 120 miles and i charged my ev and it said 190. By the time I got back, having driven 120 miles, I had actually two miles of charge left. So my plea, and maybe it's a piece we can do as a podcast, uh, is motor manufacturers, can we have the truth, please? Can we have the truth that maybe two dials on, on our EVs that say, here's what it would be like if nothing was running, you aren't on the motorway, you're not going at 70, you are not playing music, you're not using your air conditioning or you've got your windows open, whatever, and here's actually how far you can go because the dials that tell you the distance frankly are pony. so there's my little uh, rant i'll be heading down to cornwall hopefully i'll make it but <laughs> it'll be a, a, an interesting uh, trip so i'm away for a little bit i hope you keep subscribing to the podcast we've got plenty more coming up over the next few months and then we'll be hitting the road properly again come september with more content so thanks for listening please subscribe 
And if you have any thoughts, then email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Until the next time, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this Future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.